Welcome to the third in our series of podcasts on the insights of Marie Ruchain Dupre, co-founder of the Order of the Lily and the Eagle. In this episode, we explore the idea of dissimilarity. Marie realized dissimilarity is found everywhere and is a fundamental law of nature. It is also essential to spiritual growth and the practical creation of a strong and independent personality. Follow along as we explore this fascinating idea. We've discussed a little about what is the order, what its background is and things like that. Can you tell me a, a bit about its teaching? You know, what, what, what is kind of a summary of what its, its teaching is all about? We've talked about, you know, that there's a series of, of uh, signposts of uh, core principles that uh, Marie came up with. And that's the basis of the teaching. Uh, can you talk about that a bit more? Well, I would, I, would, I, would, I would love to talk about it. But of course, ultimately, we would like each individual to do that work for themselves. But I, I can give some, a, a general sense of the, of the key points that come to me, at least. I think it will be different from, for others. But I can only do what I I I know, and I apologise now <laughs> for being you know tied up with my particular preferences, and I I stress that very strongly because freedom comes through from the basis of the order of the lily and the eagle, and it means that what I'm saying you're perfectly free to accept. Or throw away. If you think about it, it helps you to think about it great. But it's important that no one person has got the answer. And this leads us on to the core of the first concept that they are discovered, we could say. And that is each and every individual is a unique person. What that means is they should be free to be who they are for a very good reason because that that uniqueness is a necessary thing for humanity. It's not something that's oh it's nice to talk about that you know and of course they people get mixed up with what we we say is the similarity between people and their dissimilar elements. So, what, how can I explain this more clearly? Let's take the physical level of the person. We all have the ability to make various movements, whether it be a hand gesture, a facial expression, to walk, so everybody has that capacity. They have the ability to walk. Okay, I, I exclude people who are bed-bound and in wheelchairs, but even they will have similar movements that everybody can make. I choose walking because it, it's an easier example. I'm lazy. So everybody can walk, but you can distinguish from far away through the way the gait 
of the person is, the way they are walking, that it's John and not George. It's Jane, not Geraldine. Because they have a particular mannerism. So you have similar possibilities of walking. They walk, but they express it in a dissimilar way. They're, it's a unique way of walking. So this is, the, this is a very important factor. It's so obvious that most people don't give it the relevance it, it should be given. And it comes back to freedom again. And unfortunately, it's getting worse and worse and worse with modern technology. People are kind of being obliged to be the same. So I can give you a really good example, which was it? It's the housewives of Hollywood, <laughs> or and you think you must all have the same uh, surgeon <laughs> because you've got the same lips, you've got the same cheeks, you've got the same eyebrow. In fact, I can't tell you apart. You all look the same. It, that's not natural. And I use the word natural. <laughs> so, and that, that's common. You know, all these kids at young ages are now getting uh, surgical augmentation done. Because the drive to look perfect and, and, and is driving craziness. You're meant to look different. You're meant to act different. You're meant to walk different. You're allowed to have different feelings, to have different thoughts. And if you don't have that, you can never be a unique person, which you're meant to be. So this is the first insight that uh, Marie had, that absolutely everything is different. We live in a realm of physical things that are different. But because we're human beings, we also have a realm, a world of emotions, and we have a world of thoughts. And they should be different as well. We shouldn't all be thinking the same thing. We shouldn't all be feeling the same thing. But that's the way... They say the herd instinct, and I suppose it is. You know, we're all trying to be like somebody else to fit in. But we can fit in with, and have different ideas. You know, that's okay. And I don't understand why the education system in all the countries around the world aren't actually following this law of you are unique, you are dissimilar, you are different. And that's okay. No, an inordinate amount of time is spent trying to force you to be like... There was a book I read years back about um, Japan and it was discussing in one chapter the education system and it wrote in, in, in <laughs> there's a phrase, a saying that the Japanese teacher says about the children and it says follows, follows, if the nail sticks up, hammer it down. So the idea is that they don't want difference, they want uniformity. 
And that's very sad. How can somebody be happy when they're just a, you know, the clone of their neighbour? And we all know that there is a genuine drive within everybody to actually try and express the difference. It, you know, I don't have to tell anybody. I know that they're trying to be different, but within bounds, because everybody else would look at them or laugh at them, or or or. So this was this is, the, the after freedom. This is the next. I would almost say it comes out of freedom, but okay, it's an observation. Everything has similarities, but it's expressed in a dissimilar way, or it should be. Yes, I think that's it, really. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've missed anything. <laughs> it's possible. You know, I, I am still young. <laughs> um, so I'm just, I'm just sort of looking at my notes here, to just to be sure. Well, you might say something about the, um, you know, what makes a personality, um, you know, stronger or weaker or gives it more possibilities or well, less? Because that's discussed as well, environment. I, I think, in general terms, and I, I'm talking about the experience of most people, not people who are specifically following this teaching but it, it it affects them as well but you know the 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 normal person in the street um they're going through every day various experiences okay and I, it, it includes you know getting to work and all those daily events that kind of tie us up you know we get involved with and all that kind of stuff and occasionally we have a, a traumatic sequence of events. For instance, you know, we get divorced or our parents die or something along, you know, uh, you know, we, we often say, you know, an earth shattering experience. And OK, there is a number of ways of looking at such experiences. They can make you stronger. Or they can destroy you. Now, I generally would say that nine times out of ten, if not more, it doesn't destroy the person. It does make them stronger. They battle on. They find ways around the problem. And, and, and. So, just as I said earlier about the goalpost moving, every human being, whether they're in an esoteric group or a religion or whatever, they are moved to deal with their life. So they have a sequence of experiences, and this is all observation that I'm sure Maria was making. Maria, Marie, Maria, we're never quite sure what to say. Who we also call there. Well, again, Let's not um, go down that path, I think. But anyway, so she, she obviously saw this as well, that there are people who go through these earth-shattering changes and they manage it, and it makes them stronger. So 
what do we mean by stronger as opposed to weaker? We mean that if something happens again further on in their life, they can withstand it. They, they have imagination to get round the problem. They have the, the determination to keep on going. I mean, I, I've met people whose children, you know, 90% burns, they should be dead, but they're not. And the struggle, that, that I mean, the sheer anguish they must have gone through to, to see their child, you know, should be dead kind of thing. But they survived it and they struggled on and they're fighting even to this day because that child will always have problems, you know. 90% burns, no fingers, they got burnt off, you know. Reconstructions of the face and God, I mean, unbelievable. So, whether or not the signposts that they are gave us, those fundamental ideas are given to people or not, they're already naturally doing what they should be doing to survive. Okay, some people struggle and they need a bit of a helping hand and what have you. And sometimes in the order we, we try and help people. Not so that they become a member of the order. No, we help them without obligation. Get them on the straight and narrow. And usually they disappear because they don't want to remember the bad times. But we helped. And that's good, tick. But we're not doing it so that we can capture them to come into the order. So yes, a strong individual over a period of time has evolved through various tests that they've gone through in their life. And when they get to their 50s or 60s, people are coming to them and say, oh, well, you know a bit about this and you've had experiences and you know that's essentially the only difference between someone who's following the teaching and someone who isn't. The person following the teaching will try and extract as much learning out of the experience as possible to change themselves. Not just to manage to muddle through, well they'll do that anyway, but to change themselves so it won't happen again if possible because okay when your mother dies your mother dies <laughs> but okay you've got your father coming down the road and he you know and you may have not had a good relationship with your father and really you should try and make your peace with him and uh, all that kind of stuff because once they've gone you can't ever have a further conversation with them. So we, you know, all these things come into play at a greater depth, let's say, for someone studying the teaching. I won't say that you do that right from having studied it. I suspect what happened to me was I got to 36 and then I went, I want to do number one again. And I started going through again and I started seeing other things and, and, and. And then when I was giving that, in those theorems or these fundamental ideas to somebody else, I was suddenly presented with a completely different view of it 
by the person themselves. And it, it broadens your whole concept of what's going on. You never stop experiencing and trying to make sense of it. And that you extend... I mean, it's such a simple idea. Everybody is unique and everybody should be expressing difference. I can give you a good example, which is nothing to do with human beings, although we could extend it to human beings. Now, if I remember my history correctly, in America there was um, a period when, in the 20s and 30s, um, there was the Great Dust Bowl. And what had happened, as I understood it, that they were using one crop, one type of crop, and there was a shortage of water, and it completely wiped out this monoculture across miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of the same crop. So if you have a monoculture of human beings who go to the same school to be taught the same thing, then you won't ever have somebody coming along and going, oh, we need to do this. Because everybody will go, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Monoculture. So nature wiped out. If they'd been sensible, they would have had three or four different types of wheat or barley or oats or whatever growing. Which, of course, is what they do now. Which is what they do now because they've learned. But it's the same with human beings. If you teach them the same thing, you just get monoculture. And the whole beauty of people who thought differently, usually they had a, a completely different education. You know, their uncle would come along of the summer and they would teach them mathematics. And it turned out they had an aptitude for mathematics or, or, or you know, or an artist. You know, start painting. Nobody taught them. They just had it, you know. Oh, no, son, you need to be a dentist in order to earn a living. You know, no, you, we should be looking, if we are, if we believe in difference, we should be finding what the difference is in our child and feeding that, encouraging it, developing it, and not start saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to impose on you the study of fill in your own blank, you know, dentist, doctor, lawyer, you know, plumber. <laughs> I don't think there are many, many people who say, son, I want you to be a plumber. <laughs> but anyway, that sort of attitude that you, you pre-select for the child what it's going to do. No, no, no. Find what they have the aptitude to do and then feed A friend at work, he was talking to me about his two children, a boy and a girl. Same family, same genetics, same upbringing. And he, he said to me, he's a bright button, he is. He said, you know, he, he says stuff to me and I'm, I, you know. I said, what about the girl? He said, not the brightest button in the box. <laughs> I said, how's that possible? He said, I don't know. You know, no, people say, oh, that's genetics and that that's what, you know. But the plain fact is he can't treat the one 
the same as the other because they're so different. And that's it. That's what Maria noticed. By studying nature, by studying human beings, by thinking very deeply about it. So what's the application out of that? What's the application? Everybody's the same, but they have differences. So what's the application? Let's make everybody the same. So if you come to an esoteric order where they're trying to make you the same as everybody else, then depart, leave. If they're not treating you with freedom, as we said in our first talk, and on top of that, they're forcing you to be the same, leave. But if they're encouraging you to be different, to express the difference, thumbs up, brilliant, go for it. And I'm not saying it because our order says it, we have the truth. I'm looking at nature. Because nature tells us everything. It's been going for how many billions of years? It's certainly a little bit more wise than I am. And it's got differences out there. No two plants are the same. No two flowers are the same. No two animals are the same. It must be for a good reason. And the reason is, should there be a, an event that wipes out, for instance, a bacterial infection that wipes out large parts of the plant life or animal life, it's the ones who are different that will survive. So on that basis alone, you should be clamouring to be different so that you survive. Perhaps I'm being an extreme example there, but essentially that's it's the truth. You know, the person with the clever idea that nobody's had before is the one who will survive. That's the way nature is. Difference is absolutely essential. And it gets back again to both freedom and happiness, because freedom, you, you've got to both take it and give it. You've also got to give people the freedom of their dissimilarity in order to express and appreciate your own. Yeah, um, exactly. And it needs to be reciprocal. It needs to be the reciprocity. So if there. you've got somebody, the head of an order, like the Order of the Lily and the Eagle, and they're going, right, I want you all to dress this way. Right, I want you to eat this type of food. Right, I want you to... And you start dictating what these people should or shouldn't be doing. What are you doing? Are you making them dissimilar or are you making them identical? Are you trying to have a clone or are you having... You want somebody who will go, have you thought about that? No, I didn't. Brilliant. Because no one person has got the answers to everything. And, you know... I. I have yet to meet anybody. And of course, deep down in my heart, I would love to meet somebody like that so I didn't have to do anything. Because <laughs> I'm lazy. And everybody is. That's okay. But the world doesn't work that way. 
The struggle is there for a good reason. And we can learn a lot from that struggle. We can be happy about it, we can make jokes about it, or we can be miserable. On balance, I prefer being happy about it. Even though everybody, but I'm thinking of my own situation, I've suffered over the years, particular things, mainly emotional, I have to say. For me, it's never really been a physical, and there are people who are suffering physical um, issues. Mine is mainly emotional, and I think in most cases it's emotional. And it's the hardest level to deal with. Yeah, I guess the next question that could be asked would be, where you identify all these uh, principles, the principle of dissimilarity certainly is foundational. What, what keeps us from expressing that now? Yeah, that's a very good question, actually, Larry. Um, when I first started out, it, it was, I guess I ignored it. I didn't really grasp why I wasn't being who I should be, for want of a better phrase. Why I was conforming to, you know, being a Brit, a British person. You know, why I thought everything British was the best and all that kind of garbage that, you know, we carry around. You know, the history according to the Swedish. <laughs> I've met Swedes who thought that Sweden invented everything. You know, and this, the British, yes, we gave the world everything. And the Greeks, yes, we gave them democracy. And, you know, all that sort of... Um, bullshit really every nation has given a little bit to to the world e even little known ones you know even if it's courage you know there are things there are nations that have shown the Gurkhas unbelievable race live up the side of the Himalayas and they fought the British and they were so impressed that the king said for perpetuity will send you, I don't know how many, Gurkhas to fight with the British Army. And by all accounts, in the Second World War, they were the only soldiers that the Japanese were shit scared of. <laughs> because they were relentless, you know. But anyway, I go off-piste, off off-track. What was the question? <laughs> what does Marie say is inhibits the, our capacity ah. to express our dissimilarities. Well, it, initially it was, the statement is that it's to do with our upbringing. And what we mean by that is at the moment of birth, essentially the baby is uh, a, a blank tablet, we might say. Well, not exactly, but essentially the very few experiences for the child to have... Um, assimilated to make sense of okay it, it understands some sounds it recognizes the mother's voice you know maybe even the taste of certain foods because that's come through the placenta to the to the fetus and what have you but essentially it eats and that's about it there's very little else going on 
you can't focus and all this kind of thing. But over periods of time, you'll notice if you notice and sit and watch a child or your child, you'll notice that it's watching you and it's mimicking. Okay, because it's trying to understand the physical world, it's trying to understand what you're saying, it's trying to understand what you're feeling, it's trying to understand what it's feeling. So, right from the word go, it's drinking in what's around it. We call it the environment. So, from the family, from the brothers, from the sisters, and these days from the television, from the internet, from you know all the various things that are now available, radio even, schools, social media, social media big time, all these things start imprinting various things on the person. Most of them are okay, but a heart, large proportion of them aren't okay. So we're inheriting... And why aren't they? Because the tendency... Well, I, I best... The best way I can explain it is as follows. When I was um, in Greece, my nephew, who was young, we were sitting on a, a kid's roller coaster and they would only let the child on with an adult. So I was the designated adult. And I'm not a great lover of heights, even though it might be two foot and, you know, that type of thing. But I, I was very aware that Angelos was sitting next to me, name chained for um, data protection purposes. And um, so Angelos was sitting next to me and we went up the little rise, all of, I don't know, 10 foot. And it was, I think it was a railway engine. You know, one of those kids got it. And we got to the top, and then we whoo down the other side, right? So, of course, that gives you a kind of an adrenaline rush. And, of course, this was the first time that Angelos had ever felt it. So, what did he do? He looked at the adult sitting next to him to try and understand how he should respond. And because I understood he was watching me, I went, yeah, and looked down at him and smiled. And he went, oh, okay, that's what I do with this thing. So I taught him to enjoy that, even though I don't like it <laughs> very much. You know, especially when it's 150 foot and, they, you know, it's like I'm going to die kind of drop. And he, ever since then, he was fine, you know. So these things are, are taught and they leave an imprint on you very deep. And because society wants you to conform, because the, the, the law is that they follow is the law of similar, we want to make you the same, we start carrying a load of stuff within us which doesn't belong to us. I, uh, bless them, mothers imprint a load of stuff on us. So my mother, my fear of two foot high comes from my mother. And I remember when it happened and how it happened and what have you. So you do an exercise to overcome that stupidity and you're not frightened anymore. And uh, So this is what's happening. People are picking up 
useless bits of experience which don't help them to be who they should be, to express themselves as an independent person because they're trying to make us express a dependent person, a person who's the same as everybody else. So we have two aspects to making the person. One is that environment and the experiences that the person goes through and discovers things for themselves. This is a profound area of study. You can go very, 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 very deep into that, into yourself. Always the per yourself. You need to sort yourself out before you start looking outwards. It's always easier to see things in others. It's always somebody else's fault. I can think of several politicians who would... Uh, <laughs> fall into that category but um, essentially yes it's very common for people to say I know what's wrong with you it's your fault that I did this you know the classic one I had in Greece well actually it was in London it was a Cypriot Cypriot Greek and he the history of Cyprus is it was divided because the Greeks invaded and then the Turks invaded and the island got split. And I was talking to a Greek about this and he said, the Americans, the CIA, they forced us to invade. And I kind of looked at him for a minute and I went, no, you were just ready to do it. They just gave you the okay. They didn't force you. That there was 10,000 American soldiers strong-arming you into the boat. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, they, we talk about false news, which is kind of a new thing as a phrase, but these things go back a long way. You know, the massaging of the facts to fit the prejudice that we have. The Americans... And the CIA forced us to invade Cyprus. Very interesting. Anyway, yes. So that's the basic first area, first bullet point, the first signpost, which really is, I, I can't, can't explain. The first time I went through it, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That all makes sense. Here's my explanation and I move on. Now that I come back to it again and again and again, I'm thinking, my God, I, I don't... And I look at my notes on what I wrote about it back then and I look at them now because I'm thinking, well, what did I think then? And this is a very good reason why we write things down because we tend to distort things unless we write them down. You know, you can't deny, you can't rewrite your notes and say, oh, I don't like that, and we'll get rid of that. No, no, you read the notes and you think, oh my God, I, what, what an idiot I was. Well, yes, everybody evolves, and that's the whole thing. You look back at it to say, my God, I've moved up, I've moved on. I understand a, a bit more now. It makes more sense.
I hadn't taken that into account. I'd forgotten about that. And you know, there are as you get older, you do tend to forget things. <laughs> so to to have the written record of what you wrote is very important. So George would say to me, "Keep writing, write more, write." You know, you never write too much. Like I used to say to him, "Sorry, I've written too much." He said, "No, no, no, no. No such thing as writing too much." And actually, I would add to that, there's no such thing as a stupid idea. <laughs> because what somebody might think is stupid actually might be an insight. You never know where wisdom is going to come from. <laughs>